What's up, ladies and gentlemen? This is Sean Kelly, and you're listening to the Live Free Podcast with Mike Maxwell. From listening to records, I just knew what to do. I mainly taught myself. And, you know, I did pretty well. I said there were a few mistakes but uh, that I made that uh, I have just recently cleared up. Continue to be able to express myself as best as I can. Mr. And I feel like I have a lot of work to do. Still, you know, I'm a student of the drums, and I'm also a teacher of the drums too. <laughs> What's up, ladies and gentlemen? I'm Mike Maxwell. That is the new intro for the show. Uh, thanks to Sean Kelly for sending in the very first one. I want to get the listeners involved in the show, so I'm having people send in audio or a video. I, I started having people send in messages through my Facebook by just sending me a video message or posting a video on the wall. If you want to get involved, I'm, I'm collecting intros of, of people talking for obviously the beginning of the show instead of like a different musical thing each time. So if you want to get involved in the show, send in a video or you can even email me an mp3 at info at mikemaxwellart.com saying, what's up ladies and gentlemen, I'm, say your name or whatever you want to do. Uh, thank you for tuning into the Live Free Podcast. Here's your host, Mike Maxwell. Um, or even something along those lines. Just sort of introduce the show and my name and you can kind of say whatever it is you want at the beginning. Obviously, don't get too long-winded, but I think it'd be fun to do and get you guys involved in the show. So I've already collected like four or five since I posted on Facebook today, so that's super cool. So um, today's guest is Mr. Ben Walker. He uh, sat down with me via Skype from his studio in San Francisco. We talked Kindred Spirits, Comic-Con, Artery Blockage, Animation, Arguing with Skinner, Power and Numbers, Not Giving a Single Shit, The Weird Owl of Art, Time Period, Steampunks, Hipster Hair, Exotic Animal Pets, Elephant in the Living Room, Medical Marijuana, Avoiding the News, and The Finiteness of Life. So, as always, make sure you go check out the website, MikeMaxwellArt.com. Click on the blog and you'll get all the information about the show, all the guests, all the links. This show is gracefully sponsored by Individual Clothing. Make sure you go check out their website at indvsl.com. If you donate to the show, which you could do via the blog through any of the PayPal links, you if you donate $10 or more, you get a individual clothing item via myself. I'll ship that thing to you. Um, or actually, if we get more donations, I could put intern Matt to more work and I'll make him actually do all that shipping. So get those donations in there. If you uh, donate $20 or more, you'll get a Live Free Never Die shirt, which all that stuff is all prominently displayed on the blog and on the Facebooks and the Twitters. So go check that out. You can find us on Twitter at Live Free Podcast. If you want to follow me, I'm at Mike Maxwell Art. So with all that said, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Mr. Ben Walker. What's up, buddy? Hey, what's going on, Mike? How are you? All right. Let's see if we can get our faces up on the screens. 
You see my mug? Yeah, you see my my uh, visage? No, you're still <laughs> uh, you're just blue screen. Hit the red camera button or the button that looks like a camera. It'll turn red when you hit it. Button that looks like a camera. Upper right hand. Uh, uh, yeah, there yeah. Goes. Make a move. There cool. he is. What's up, brother? Right on. Good to see you, man. Yeah, you too. Thanks for taking the time to shoot the shit with me. Absolutely. So, uh, we've been trying to get you on for a while. We, uh, you and I just, it seems like we've been, um, like internet friends for as long as internet friends has been a thing. Yeah, I think that's the, that's the case. Like back to my space. I saw your stuff at shooting gallery, like years ago now. Oh yeah. I was like, man, here's a kindred spirit to this guy, you know, with the, with the old timey dudes, the mustaches and everything. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. So we actually we got to meet in the real life at uh, Comic Con this last right. this last uh, summer. Yeah. And uh, it was funny, man. I I was looking through my uh, my blog from that period, and you had actually came by the booth, and I took a photo of you with Scott at the Scott Saw booth. Oh yeah. Before I had already we had planned to meet, you know, and mm-hmm. I guess I only knew your art and not really what your face looked like. Right. You know, at the time. And uh, I guess I took your picture, and then I went over it and, and met you, like, on the third day or something. Right. Huh. I didn't even realize. Yeah, I didn't either until I went back and looked at the picture, and then I felt kind of dumb. And then, actually, I felt kind of like, I wonder if I looked like an asshole, like I like I was I should have remembered and then didn't. Uh, Comic-Con is so weird because, you know, I don't know if attendees totally realize it, but, you know, we're all operating on zero sleep and the stress of trying to just get down there and get all your stuff set up and you know so it's sort of a weird stressful situation for us but we also want to like meet up with people and have fun and stuff um and then there's this like a million faces walking around and some of them look at you with recognition and and like kind of expect that you should recognize them too and sometimes it's hard you don't know is this like another artist friend is this like the boyfriend or girlfriend of an artist friend is this just somebody who comes to my table every year i'm not even sure sometimes that's funny and you're you're on that uh you you do the sort of um that circuit right like the trade show convention yeah, circuit i've been doing that since about 2006 and you know to be honest man i don't know i don't know now um comic-con was really tough um to make happen this year and um same with some of the other ones that have happened lately. And I've just been kind of reevaluating what I want to do and what I don't want to do and don't just like rely on what I have been doing as a force of habit, you know? So, yeah, I've had like a lot of lifestyle changes this last year and uh, new city, new life. And, you know, it's, it's tough to just always do the exact same thing with, with you know, with these shows. Well, did you, you say you moved recently? Yeah, I moved to the Bay Area. First, I was out in Lafayette, which is in the East Bay. Nobody, nobody knows where that is. It's okay, yeah. um, but it's just like east of Oakland, past uh, the, all the hills and stuff that kind of divide up the the Bay Area. But um, so I was out there. That was kind of my toe in the water of uh, being in the Bay Area, you know. Yeah, sure. And uh, I realized it wasn't for me after uh, after a while. Um, so. And I'd met somebody really special and, you know, things turned up, came up that weren't expected. And we're like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just, let's just, you know, get a place together. We'll get more bang for a buck. We'll be in together. So we just got a place together in San Francisco and it's, it's great. Life's good. Nice. So how long have you been in San Francisco? 
since April. So not too long. Nice. I I love that city, and it's funny. A lot of the it's uh, so many of the guests on the show are out of San Francisco because it's such a supportive place for its artists. Right. It's like the world is your oyster. You know, there's just so much going on that you might as well be here to to get in on it. You know, I feel like you know San Diego too. I'm sure is like that. L. A. Um, I'm sure for the right folks, New York is is like that. So yeah, it's just being about being somewhere that you know things come up and you get in on them. So what do you think uh, sort of created this shift in, in is it, you know, when, when we think about Comic-Con and these conventions, it always ends up being like a money-making thing. Was right. there, is there something about the, the sort of commercialization of stuff that you're trying to maybe take a step aside from? Or was there something that, in particular? That was, that was definitely a part of it. I wouldn't say it's the main part of what's going on with me. But yeah, I know I've been noticing, you know, I've only been doing Comic-Con. I'm still pretty much a newbie. Uh, I exhibited for the first time in like Artist Alley, uh, I'm sorry, Small Press, um, and that was like 2008. So it's not, yeah, I haven't been doing it very long. And then I moved up to having a bigger booth, being all near like Nickelodeon and stuff, just to get kind of get more eyeballs and more space for all my t-shirts and stuff. But yeah, especially last year, I noticed that, you know, attendees going by are are continuing to walk by and they're off to go check out you know, the cast of Glee having a signing or whatever. Um, so attendees were not generally, you know, of course, I'm making generalities. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're, not, we're not as interested as just other exhibitors, uh, a lot of the professionals that would work at like Sony or, or some of these companies that would be nearby, that they can't stray very far from their booth. So they'd be walking around a little bit and they'd be like, oh, this, this looks like somebody to check out. So I've been getting, you know, some business from those kind of people. But just like the general attendees, they seem to be shifting more towards just what's, what's cool on TV and, um, and movies and such. Sure, that this, this last year during Comic-Con, we, uh, we set up this little plan to force people into booth spaces. Mm-hmm. So we, I was at the Scott Saw booth and right across from us was the um, upper playground booth. Yeah. And I would get two or three guys to just stand in the middle of the aisle and mm-hmm. sort of create a pathway that caused, you know, like an artery blockage. We acted yeah. like we acted like a big artery block and mm-hmm. we're we're causing the blood platelets to go towards both booths instead of down the middle of the aisle, you know? Yeah. Just as a way to force people over there because they're on their way to go look at the whatever teeny vampire show is popular on the WB or whatever. Right, and like where I was it's got that wide aisle, so they've, they've been using it as the lineup area for all the signings. So there'll be four different signings for all these different things, the Twilight people and the Glee people and all that. They're all lined up to get their signings and stuff. So it's the same kind of effect, right, where, oh, hey, here's, like, some people who are stuck there. They're looking at your stuff, maybe. Plus, it's pushing people towards your booth to get past them. But I don't really feel like that helps as much as it should. I think no. it's the crowd is changing. I think it hurts. In fact, I uh, I made a big stink to. There was a vinyl toy booth. And I can't remember exactly which one it is, but like the one of those companies that makes the blank vinyl toys that they sell to everybody. Yeah. And uh, they would have like a few times a day would have some signing or something was going on, and their line would go right past our booth and basically cover mm-hmm. the whole booth. So I had to act like the Gestapo out there yeah. and start like booting people. Like I was like yeah, the NYPD guy, out there with, I had pepper spray. I was just blasting people in the face and shit. Right. 
Man, it's tough. I don't want to be like that. I know. I don't you know, either. There's, there's people who, you know, it's the same thing. There, there'd be milling around hoping because they have to cut off the line, right? So there'll be people milling around hoping that they'll open the lineup again to let people in for these signings. So they won't technically even be in line. They'll just be kind of standing around in front of, you know, my booth, you know, maybe pretending to look at stuff, maybe not. But they're just standing around blocking everything, basically. Um and you gotta be like, hey, you know, I know you're hoping to like get a signing from uh, some vampire or whatever, but um, <laughs> but this is kind of like my livelihood. I'm sorry, man. Can I get you to like go away? Or I didn't put it like that. I'm nice, of course, but you know. <laughs> well, I mean, coming from that environment, I mean, speaking of the work that you make and that you that you're promoting at, at things like this, did did you come from an illustration background or more of a fine art background? Um, I went to school for animation, for traditional animation, and I kind of made up my own program and um, took a lot of illustration classes. Um, so I was kind of more geared toward the stuff that happens before it goes frame by frame, you know, all the character designs and the storyboards and background paintings and things like that. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I had a long-term goal of being a former animator, you know, which is kind of a roundabout way of going about it. You know, I just wanted to be one of those guys that, you know, like you see them juxtaposed that, you know, they were in animation and now they're fine artists kind of people, you know. Um, before that, I was doing, like, I was part of the whole dot-com boom, you know, doing, like, really menial graphics work for all these big, um, you know, software companies and web companies and stuff. So, yeah, I don't know. And then when I graduated from school, I was like, man, I, I still don't really want to move to L.A., um, so I thought of other things to do. Well, didn't you do, didn't you do some stuff with Nickelodeon or some cartoon stuff? I did not. No, I did nothing with Nickelodeon, but, um, that would be cool. I thought, for, <laughs> I thought you, I thought you had worked on something. Um, Nickelodeon. No, I mean, I've done stuff where like an outsourced kind of company would be doing something for like Disney or whatever. And they'll hit you up and be like, Hey, we can't pay you, but could you make some character designs for this? And maybe it'll end up in this, in this huge blockbuster, you know, Disney movie. And <laughs> I'd be like, okay, sure. And then you send off these character designs and you don't really ever hear from them again. Um, but no, I haven't done anything for any animation companies or anything. All right. I'm mistaken. What, um, what was your, what was your schooling like? Did you do a traditional art school or I went to Academy of art here in San Francisco. Um, but yeah, I lived out in the North Bay, so this is actually my first time actually living here. Um, yeah, I was like teetering on being an illustration major or an animation major. Um, I just went with uh, animation. Um, it's pretty much just a very close program um, either way. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, you know, people ask me about that a lot. And, you know, I get into like arguments with people like Skinner <laughs> about, you know, is art school worth it? You know, these kind of discussions because it isn't about the piece of paper, right? You know, that doesn't matter. Yeah. It's about your portfolio. But, you know, a lot of people, especially people like me, need to be initially at least pushed into creating that portfolio in the first place. And you don't know what you don't know, right? That's just how the saying goes. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes you need some prompting as, as to like what exactly you should work on. And 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 uh, just just the immersion in the practice is what is what did it for me. It's like... I looked at a sketchbook that I had before I went to art school and I realized that there was like 20 pages filled out and it represented like six years. 
you know, I really wasn't drawing very much. Uh, and then when the whole dot-com thing blew up, I was like, this isn't what I want to do anyway. I, I really got away from all the drawing and the pain that I used to do in high school. So that's why I signed up to go to art school. And then you're just like in it, you're in it, you're creating like finished stuff that looks great within like a week. And you're doing that for four different classes at a time. And you're like, wow, this is like an amazing amount of work. And just it's the practice alone is, is great. It's definitely, I would say, I would say the benefit is that intensive training sort of. It's like the difference between you know somebody who thinks they go to the gym and run on the treadmill and then like a full-on like mma uh you know gym training workout like the difference between those two things you know yeah, like in terms of if you're just home by yourself like how much effort are you how much time and and real passion are you going to put into it like for me i was able to do that because i already had that passion beforehand so it was mm -hmm. like i already had that drive but that came from certain influences you know there's yeah. certain people who happen to come into my life that gave me enough uh, drive to want to do something like that. Yeah, so it's I feel like that now for sure. But yeah, I mean, back then I always felt like a creative guy, you know, and <laughs> the, the air get... quotes happened there. I just want to yeah, let the, the these, audio these, listeners these, know. These creative, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm pantomiming stuff that doesn't help with the audio. Huh? <laughs> but anyway, there were all these creative projects, but they were always kind of really removed from actual anything actually that would help as far as like creating an art career or anything. They were always like three steps removed. Like uh, I'd make balloon animals for a living or I'm just going to keep walking, keep talking and I uh, hope you didn't catch on to that. But, um, <laughs> I, would, I would make, you know, I'd make weird puppets out of Sculpey and, and then do nothing with them. Or, or I would like built a, a hand built a theremin from a kit, you know, all these things that like were artsy, but didn't, really go anywhere necessarily so they're almost like distractions and they were kind of keeping me from putting 100 percent into really trying to draw and paint and do what i really you know was driven to do it's tough i think especially in your 20s you know you're kind of still growing up and it's, it's tough to like face those fears and just really actually do what you want to do 100 percent yeah sure and that's that thing i talk about a lot it's a, you have to have a sort of mentor or somebody that an example that you could see it being done which is that benefit of being in art school. You see a whole group of people who are, are working artists and that sort of thing. And plus being in San Francisco, that environment of seeing so many working artists in such a creative community. Even if you're living outside, I mean, if you're going to school a few, a few days out of the week, you're still immersed in that culture to a certain extent, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's that and... You know, just the, all of the peripheral stuff that you don't really think about when you are deciding whether to go to school or not. You know, the, the connections that you make, the people that you end up um, glomming onto. Sure. Uh, they, they're they like with you for the rest of your life, you know, and they and you're all helping each other. You know, whenever I need to like get a quick gig and, and earn some, some ducats or whatever, I'll, you know, just hit up all my buddies and tell them I'm looking for stuff and, you know, somebody will have heard of something. You know, so there's this network that you build. And then just like as far as like learning too, I learned a lot from students who were into the kind of art that I was into, sometimes more than the than the teachers who didn't really you know, they didn't read Juxtapose magazine or or keep up with you know, like the, the whole lowbrow pop surrealism scene. They didn't know anything about that. They were trait they were teaching us how to draw for Disney and and Nick Nickelodeon and stuff. Uh, so I I met people like like Josh Herbelsheimer, uh, who's doing really good with Super 7, making his own uh, vinyl toys. Uh, I ended up uh, having Eric Joyner as a, an instructor. 
And I was like, oh, cool. I was like the only guy who knew who he was <laughs> in the class. I was like, okay, cool. And so we got to be good friends. And so I ended up, yeah, kind of finding my own mentors and friends who were along the lines of what I wanted to do, you know. And that group thing is important too, which a lot of people don't really understand and is one of those another one of those benefits to joining an art school is that that sort of family mentality that you build with working with those groups of people on a continuous basis. Because mm -hmm. you see it if... Just like if you work a project with a group of artists that you like, that bond that sort of forms is, ends up being a, a lifelong bond as long as everything went smoothly. And right. we see that in politics, you know, like the way when when people uh, line the, the pockets of politicians, they do things for one another. So same as in a family or even like a like a Masonic Lodge type of situation, like mm -hmm. if if uh, if two businesses or let's say three businesses want to do business together and only two of them are going to work, the two happen to be Freemasons and the one doesn't happen to be Freemasons, that Freemason group is probably going to bond together because they have that that familiar bond from some other reference point. Yeah, you know? that, so, happens every, that happens no, with No, yeah, everybody. totally, with people everything. Like to, people like to be around and work with the people who they feel are familiar to them and like them, uh, and it can be chalked up to, you know, a lot of other pretty negative words, but I think people just generally do that, whether they're artists or Mormons or, or you know, whatever. Sure, whatever classification you want to give something. But for, for students or for artists who maybe don't take the the school route, maybe maybe it is important for them to look for a sort of group that they can find a, a group of like-minded people if they haven't already. I guess we sort of automatically try to find those things, but maybe yeah. more importantly for those who don't have a, a uh, an organization where they go and are in a, a class every week or you know yeah. that sort of thing yeah you're right um it reminds me of uh, my buddies uh, matt ritchie who also does art as matt 136 are you familiar with his stuff um he does this thing called art night uh which is every week at his house it's just been growing and growing and he it's basically like an art party everybody just comes over he's been getting like 30 people lately coming into his house and just creating art and talking nice. about whatever making fun of each other or whatever they want to do but it's fun and there are people who went to art school there are people who are like teaching in art school now but there's also like you know younger people uh, like my buddy patrick who you know has never gone to school for his art or anything and he just like started drawing a year or two ago and the stuff's just been taken off because he's immersed in these guys you know they're helping him he's got art teachers showing him about anatomy he's, mm -hmm. he's learning about all kinds of you know history of animation just through these guys so it's really cool yeah that's amazing like uh i i just did a, a live painting demo at uh san diego state university Mm -hmm. And I barely painted at all. Like, I just did some background painting and mostly just talked to the students that came by. Because on that particular day at the art store, if they all, if you wear the t-shirt for the art store, you get 20% off. So all the art students from that, that building always come in on that day. So mm -hmm. they have an artist come in and do, like, live painting and talk. But you end up just talking more than anything. And, you know, it was having that opportunity to shoot the shit with these kids and sort of give them some real life shit like from an artist who's working as opposed to maybe the normal like university uh doctrines that they're just regularly taught sort of blandly every every right. day you know that isn't just like doesn't have that much passion like i gave some like soapbox speeches about like not giving a fuck and mm -hmm. what like some like a for instance a girl came by and she started complaining about how one artist was 
who barely put any work into their work was getting paid $45,000 to sell this canvas. Meanwhile, she's doing all these months and months of work and can't sell something for $100. And I talked to her about that idea of, as artists, we often uh, compare each other uh -huh. to one another and, and place our own experience within other people's experience, even though we have no idea what exactly is happening. Uh -huh. And there's like a disconnect from the focus on ourselves, from making, making our own things and not being concerned, even trying to convince a, a young 20-year-old not to be concerned to tell what people think of you uh -huh. is probably... It's probably not even doable for them yet. Like I don't know right. that their brain is evolved enough yet, but that's or I tried to drop it on. Do not care what other people are doing so much. You know, it, it really doesn't matter uh, on that level. Yeah, you're right. Is that the ice cream truck? <laughs> no, the uh, cable car goes by our window every seven minutes. <laughs> so at least you know it's it's going uphill. People get all excited. It's all tourists on there, so a lot of times you'll hear that, and you'll hear people going. Whee! Are you over near Chinatown ish? It's on the way to Chinatown. It's in Knob Hill. Yeah, that's rad. Um, well, let's talk about your work a little bit, like sort of the processes and things that you do. Because I mean, you do a lot of digital work with your illustration and, like you said, animation and things. Mm -hmm. um, most of the work to me looks all, even the work that ends up being digitized seems hand done. Um, yeah. Do you want to talk about sort of how you get into some of the things that you make? Sure. I mean, I. Dang, I feel really like spread out still. I'm trying to like kind of rein things in that way. Um, to be honest, so I look at my stuff and I feel like, man, if somebody like saw my last painting at a gallery and loved it, and then I put my next piece up in you know the next group show at that gallery, would people even like recognize my style? I don't even know because sometimes I just feel like I want to I want to create the image and tell the story that I want to tell. And that means shifting media a lot, you know, going from one style, one medium to the next in order to just kind of almost like parody some look that I want to create, you know. Um, I don't want to be like the Weird Al Yankovic of, of art or anything, but sometimes <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm kind of like coming up with like with like a look just based on a reaction to something, you know, so the, the look changes a lot. Uh, but anyway, yeah, mostly I'll work with acrylics. Um, I've been getting into cell vinyl more. It seems to like speed up the process by using some cell vinyl in there. That's for those unfamiliar. It's um, the traditional paint for for you know coloring in cells for animation before everybody was coloring in animation like digitally. Um, and it's just really opaque and you know dries nice and flat and quickly. Um, so you can really build things up quickly and not have to go over it and over it like you do with acrylics. Is it similar to gouache? I've never actually used it. It looks a lot like gouache and it behaves similarly, but it's kind of stickier. Um, but gouache is so temperamental. You know, I, I liked it. I played with it and or played with it. I was almost broken by it in art school, right? <laughs> um, they just would, they, that was just like trial by fire for for one class it was all on color and color theory and they would make you paint all this stuff in gouache with like the frisket and everything it had to be perfect and perfectly even to basically to look like a printout from adobe illustrator right oh, okay. um so it's really tough to work like that if the looser stuff <laughs> people that people like uh was mark ramos who is that there's a couple artists that are uh scott morris i think uses a lot of cell vinyl and gouache um 
Well, I think Cause was the first one that I saw using it back at like when he was doing the bus stop, uh, mm. the bus stop vinyls. Uh-huh. He would use that that illish that vinyl il- um what is it called? Vinyl cell, cell, cell vinyl. vinyl. Yeah, yeah. But it's so it's it's more like acrylic where it's, you, you can really kind of beat up on it a little more. Gouache, if you sneeze near it or whatever and moisture gets on it, it's reactivated and turns back into paint. Yeah. You know, so it, you can really mess up paintings if you're not super super careful, which, you know, that's kind of why I got into doing the aesthetic that I did with the old timey stuff and everything's rusty and dirty looking because I'm not a, you know, I'm not a super meticulous person. Well, that's something you, at the at the beginning of this thing you mentioned that we had a similar aesthetic, and not that mm-hmm. our works necessarily. Although we do use a similar blue, uh, mm-hmm. our our works don't look similar. But there's definitely a time period um, sort yeah. of romantic romanticism, Romant- yeah, yeah, uh, that comes through in both of the things that we do. Mm-hmm. And I have my own sort of theories on it. Um, but I'd like to hear yours. Do you what? Do you have a fascination with that time period? I wrote down that there's a sort of um, there's a lot of images of toughness in the face of diversity. So it's mm-hmm. like there's like a a lot of your work has this sort of underlying danger of something like that's about mm-hmm. to happen. But the you know the the focal point of the piece is like this toughness that seems to be able should be able to overcome those things. Is that something that you mean to implant in there? Um, not necessarily. I would think that that would kind of come from just the over-the-top sense of humor that I'm trying to th- throw into things. And it's it's not about, like, being super manly or anything, except to kind of parody the the manly toughness of, of a bear with a gun. You know, <laughs> is a good example. It's just over-the-top, and it's funny. Um... And yeah, and it fits in kind of with this whole Western old timey thing that I've been getting into. Um, but I think, you know, that whole the whole time period thing. I think for one, and I think this is why other people are kind of um, catching on to this too. Anytime you you pull away from modern um, aesthetics and looks, you can you can take away all the preconceived notions and assumptions that you're gonna assigned to somebody if you look at like a portrait of somebody that's that looks like they come from right now you'll be like oh that jacket was from forever 21 and i bet <laughs> that person listens to black eyed peas or you know you'd throw all this like assumptions onto them maybe uh-huh. and there's like kind of a blank slate that comes with changing the time period and, and throwing it back a like hundred years or so you know so i like that but you know mostly i just grew up in in uh, California, Northern California, all my life. Um, my grandma was from Texas, and my parents were from you know Sebastopol, a small town in the North Bay. Um, so the the history of California and the Old West has always been around me, but like country music and the that sort of hick thing was always like taboo basically you you were not cool if you listened to bluegrass and right and i was a little shock that's a shock huh yeah right and i didn't and and i don't want to pretend that that i was was into that kind of stuff but you know my grandma was always listening to bob wills and there was all this like aesthetic around me that i was kind of basically ignoring uh i was even like raised on a ranch up in like kind of near um placerville uh 
out in the boonies and this ranch had like a full-on old west town built into it kind of like a prop basically uh-huh. but it had like a little jail building and a little yeah. bell tower and everything <laughs> so it's, it's kind of nuts that it was always around me but i kind of was ignoring it and then um just when the last couple of years that i was in art school it, it kept popping up and bubbling up this this aesthetic and i think partially it was because of movies like gangs of new york and um uh, oh brother, where art thou? Where it was all about this warm, dirty, old-timey aesthetic. You know, it wasn't necessarily about westerns or anything, but that was really like appealing to me. And since it does fit in the way that I can kind of work anywhere, anyway, where I'm not trying to like draw meticulous, you know, me- mechanical stuff or anything, so it just kind of fit anyway. And I could interject my own over-the-top sense of humor. Western art is already over the top if you look at frederick remington i was just looking at a painting yesterday of his where a indian was riding a horse and then crashed into a buffalo and it's this giant crash scene (laughs) with all three of them flying through the air it's like what how do you top that i want to try you know yeah totally so the the absurd is is important to you then yeah, more than anything, and I think, you know, the, the whole old-timey look and the Western thing, I'll play with on and off sometimes, but I really feel like I'm kind of excited about other ideas right now. Well, it's you know? funny you say, you say that, because I recently somebody mentioned about my work, how I do a lot of, like, um, like beards and, and uh, funny facial hair and things, and it's sort of that that's kind of ironic now in modern day you know, like hipster scenes, like it's kind of like, uh, like dude with curly mustache is kind of a cliche now in our time right. period. But when you look at it from a different perspective, like it was like how everybody was at a, at a certain time period, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And that happened. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I don't keep up with, with fashion as much now that I'm in San Francisco and my, you know, my girlfriend is very, uh, influenced and interested in, in fashion and people's look and why they, you know, want to look the way they look. So I'm like talking about it and thinking about it more than I ever have before. But when I started painting these old timey things, I was just thinking about other themes. I wasn't, I wasn't familiar with hipster scenes and, and <laughs> yeah. curly mustaches back then. And, you know, I hadn't even heard the word steampunk until um, two years after I started painting these like little flying machines and stuff. Man, and your booth was right in Steampunk Isle. Right. It's like, Steam, steampunk what? Land. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. If you guys want to buy my stuff, yeah, sure, it's Steampunk. I don't know. I have but, a strong uh, dislike for them for some reason, I, and well, I don't quite know why. Here's the thing is, you know, I... I, I get it, except like everything else with these sub-sub-genres, they go through this arc, right, where there they're maybe isn't even necessarily a word for it at first, but people are like playing with this aesthetic and it's kind of cool. And then there is a name and then, then there's the cliches that come around it. And now all you got to do is wear some plastic goggles <laughs> or whatever, maybe multiple sets of goggles or even better, and you're steampunk. And a bustier. And, and everybody, everybody is at risk of eye damage in, 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 in all these characters apparently, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they all could could have an eye put out at any moment, so you need multiple goggles. Right. Um, and then and then that stuff all kind of crests and then peaks and then um, dies out so quickly that yeah, I don't really necessarily want to be like officially associated with it because it's going to be in Target, you know, within a year. You're going to be able to buy your steampunk 
pre-goggled hat at Target, right? Guarantee there's some Party City um, Halloween costumes of steampunk. Yeah. So I just don't want to be, I don't want to be part of the backlash. I don't want to be like that defined, you know. I was doing flying machines and stuff. It was part of my first um, gallery show in 2000, it was um, beginning of 2007. Uh, I just painted a bunch of people doing, making and flying, flying machines because it like embodied this like spirit, this work, this workers, um, this workmanship and this, what do you want to call it? Like an ethic, you know, of, of these crazy people, basically, right? These people who are laughed at by the rest of their town, their family was all mad because they were spending all their money trying to build these flying machines and everybody thought they were nuts and they would jump off of, you know, cliffs with these things <laughs> and then, you know, they'd be smashed. But these were people who were like really dedicated to this dream of like being able to fly. I mean, that's an amazing timeless dream that we've all had. And so I like really looked up to these guys. And so, yeah, with the same sense of humor of man, that thing looks ridiculous. I would still paint it as if it was successfully flying, you know, and have this whole old timey aesthetic going with it. And that's sort of what I was talking about. That sort of ironicness of like modern day hipster facial hair in comparison mm -hmm. to like the necessity of it at turn of the century, you know what I mean? So yeah. like the, there's a realness to some of that stuff, but, you know, but a lot of it is, is like you said, like that absurdity, like the Indian fighting the, um, the, uh, what the fuck is that? Pl the plant that eats the flies? Uh, the, the Venus flytrap? Like the Venus flytrap. Yeah. You know, like, that's absurd, but, like, you know, maybe there's, like, social commentary that could be easily uh, just placed upon that. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's, that's one of those ones where, you know, I wanted to build this whole Western world. You know, I wanted to have all the characters kind of represented. And, like, Native Americans, is that's a toughy, that's a touchy subject, you know, to, like, be getting into uh, unless you are yourself Native American, right? Sure. So, um, obviously, I don't want them to just, like, paint cowboys shooting at Indians, right? That's not, <laughs> that's just not going to work. Um, yeah, it's historically accurate. Right. So, but I, I didn't necessarily want to worry about, you know, history. I wanted to right. kind of build my own history and have it be fun and charming and not bring up like negative e emotions over how how horribly we treated anybody um so yeah i just kind of started coming up with folklore that would be oriented to native americans like that they were fi fighting giant jackalopes long before the white man discovered <laughs> or or yeah or they would be trying to hunt and all of a sudden they have to battle it out with a giant you know venus flytrap or something so just kind of coming up with my own fun s scenarios Speaking of man versus nature, did you see all the that shit that went down in Ohio? With the no. Dude? No, this guy, apparently there's this thing in the middle America where people are keeping uh, exotic, dangerous animals in their backyard. Mm. So this dude committed suicide. Turns out he had this huge exotic farm, basically, with uh, tigers and lions and baboons and elephants and all kinds of shit. And let it loot, let all of them loose into his town, and then committed suicide. So the cops, Whoa. the cops went in and killed all these animals. There's mm. a photo that's going around of like where they must have gathered them all up, just like forty exotic animals, like tigers, like 
you know, probably endangered species. I, and, I thought they had darts for that stuff. That's, that's that was my first initial reaction. Was that you know we see that all the time in those like wildlife National Geographic joints where they they're in a preserve somewhere. They shoot them with the darts and they fall down. It doesn't take yeah. that long. But apparently, I think what the and not to make it a justification, but I think what the report was was that they posed a direct threat to the public at at the time and the. Yeah. You know, maybe they didn't have the darts at the middle of nowhere Ohio station. You know what I mean? Yeah, that sucks. It's it's hard because I mean, obviously you don't want to see any animals coming to harm like that. At the same yeah. time, if you found out that your daughter was eaten by a tiger because nobody wanted to shoot at it, that would be unfortunate too. You know? Right. You know, it's like it's that morality line. Like, at what point does killing not become murder and survival but at the the reality is is that those fucking assholes should never have had the opportunity to have lions and tigers in their backyard right. anyway and there's i guess a documentary that's about to come out about this exact thing it was called oh, yeah. um uh my get one of my gallery owners posted elephant in the living room which okay. i'll put it on the blog i'll put a link to it on the blog too oh. it's it is insanity so apparently they killed all the they killed all the animals that got loose except for one monkey is still on the loose. So like that's that one fucking bad gene monkey that's getting ready to start oh, spreading man. the virus. Jeez. Apparently. Yeah, apparently. That's what the movies would say. Apparently my girlfriend wanted a monkey at some point a couple of years ago. I'm glad that didn't work out. She did some research and realized how like horrible of a endeavor they have to go through in order to like be somebody's pet, but yeah, I'm glad that didn't work out. <laughs> Yeah, monkeys are brutal. Especially like chimpanzees, like people who keep chimpanzees. Those are monstrous beasts. Yeah, and they'll rip your friend's faces off and stuff. Did you hear about that one? Yeah, the lady, she had to get the, like the face transplant. Yeah. Yeah, the people don't realize how fucking strong a fucking chimpanzee or these apes are. There's this, there was this photo of, a, um, of one that was hairless. I don't know if monkeys get alopecia or what, what caused it to be hairless or if it was born like that. But, dude, it looked like a fucking straight bodybuilder. Just, like, shredded rip. Like, it would just rip you limb from limb. Whoa. Yeah. Not not a joke at all. Yeah. But people think, oh, they're so cute when they're so little. And they have the little suit in the top. They're little me's. Yeah. yeah. Dude, but speaking of uh, other monsters, you you just had a show, right? A, a monster show. There was a group show in San Francisco yeah, recently. Yeah, how'd that go? One here in the city. It went really well. Just this uh, week, right? Yeah, it was just a couple of days ago. It, it it was great, man. It looked awesome. Um, my buddy uh, Matt One Three Six that I was telling you about uh-huh. was in it. Um, Justin Lovato, Robert Bowen, um, awesome lineup. Jesse Ballmer. Um, so everybody had some awesome stuff in there, and people were dressing up, and <laughs> it was nutty. Was it like Sometimes. Halloween action? Yeah, I think it was like uh, to kind of go along with Halloween, but um, you know, I didn't go too literal. I just kind of did an old timey jackalope family, uh-huh. uh, but kind of showing where jackalopes came from by having the dad be a buck and the mom be a, a rabbit. It was kind of the gag. Speaking of. Um crazy genetics is have you heard anything about the medical marijuana issues going on in california is there anything going on in san francisco have you heard about anything lately because here's what's in san diego 
the district attorney is going after all the um, property I, owners. Okay. I, I think I heard some inklings of that. You know, to be honest, um, I kind of been avoiding. <laughs> I've been avoiding the news in general for the last year. Yeah, I'm uh, gonna drop it all on you right now. I'm gonna let you know everything. Yeah, that's it, sound, it sounds like. But no, I mean, you know, I like I said, I had like a lot of changes lately this last year, and I was like listening to talk radio all the time and getting all worked up about shit, and it was like really kind of taking a toll on my health. You know, just like mentally mentally rehearsing arguing with people for no reason you know who you're who's this these conversations that are never going to happen um but you're just thinking about it all day now because you woke up listening to it and man it's like i got i got other things to worry about right now so i can't get like super worked up about those sorts of things that are you know outside of my immediate reach i'm i'm doing you know a lot of you know thinking and, and working out having better personal relationships with the people that I can, you know, uh, be in touch with, with my friends, with my girlfriend, with my family, you know, I'm trying to really reach out and be like a better cousin to all my cousins out there who I kind of, you know, let drop off the map. So I'm trying to just be more about working out that stuff right now. So uh, do you have some sort of techniques that you're using to, to make that sort more of a reality as opposed to a mental state? As far as avoiding the news or talking to people, well, you know, just like that idea of self improvement, like making, I, like, like obviously cool. you're you're making reference to just like making contacts with people and that sort of thing, like up, keeping your relationships up. Is there, are you, or do you have some sort of spiritual practice that's changing? Is there something along those lines that's that's helping no, you? It all it all stems from you know my relationship that I'm in now. Uh, my girlfriend Amanda is an amazing person, and she just has always been somebody who has cherished her personal relationships a lot. So I've been like learning a lot about you know not just discounting people who've wronged you once or twice, and kind of keeping that going, and just like really thinking about the finiteness of life and how it's, you don't know how long somebody's going to be in your life and just like really you just need to make a point to to catch up with people sometimes and and make the first step and be that be a friend before you are a friend i think a lot of people have trouble doing that you know like oh that person didn't give me a birthday present this year i'm not <laughs> you know i'm not getting them anything you know i've i've dealt with people for a long time now who are like that and, you know, I don't want to be, I want to be a friend first. And if they don't, you know, if they can't buy me a birthday present this year or whatever, you know, that's a bad example because I'm uh, not buying anybody birthday presents this year. But <laughs> the point is, you know, I'm just trying to be a friend and be a, you know, a good part of somebody's life first and, and not worry about, you know, whether they were first, you know what well, I mean? Well, it sounds like you're learning compassion. Right. It's it's about empathy and compassion and these are words that I knew the meaning of dictionary-wise a year or two ago, but I didn't really think about or know the way I feel like I do now. You know, I really have been like developing these skills, basically, right? Of like, you need to take a moment and like put yourself in somebody else's shoes, even especially people that you feel like you don't want to like you know, <laughs> right, who yeah. are at opposition to you, want different things from you than you, I mean, and think, well, why do they want this? What, 
why are they saying this? Are they being manipulative? Are they being sincere? Is this person, you know, does this person want something bad from me? Or are they going to trick me? Or are they just a cool person who is me right now? You know, you just need to like kind of step back and think about where people are coming from. And it's something that I'm just now feeling like I'm doing. And I didn't really do before. I was just kind of up in my own head and taking everything that went on around me at like this surface level, like, like this is how it's just got to happen and there's no other choice and people don't have choices. And it's kind of like a two-year-old's way of, of viewing the world when it's like that, right? Well, definitely. There's definitely a difference between beginning to understand something and then actually putting into practice. Mm-hmm. And I can see that directly correlate with my jujitsu practice. I've worked for six months now, and the things I've been learning that I haven't been able to put into practice mm-hmm. are now starting to fall into the practice because I've understood them well enough now and have technique and those sorts of things down and a, a way to go about it. And I can now put it into <clears throat> my real life sparring practice. Now, we're talking about something like compassion and empathy. It's really easy to talk about, but as soon as somebody cuts you off in traffic and you honk at them and tell tell them to go fuck themselves, Mm -hmm. you've thrown all empathy and compassion out the window. And, you know, you may think about it right afterwards, like, wow, I should have acted in a different way, but you you didn't. So there's a difference between knowing knowing about something and Mm -hmm. actually knowing how to do it. And it sounds like maybe... That's the last two years for you, sort of making that transition. I feel like I've made a similar transition. How old are you, by the way? Uh, 38. Yeah, you're a baby. Yeah, turns <laughs> out. I was feeling pretty old for a while, but now I, now I uh, am reinvigorated, right? As sore as I've been getting in jujitsu, but I feel really fucking old. But in my brain, it's still young. Yeah, it's good. It's a good time. Well, let's um let's promote some of your stuff here, um, so we can get some people over to your website. Or um, you got some stuff coming up that you want to throw out there to the universe, the Bytons universe. Up. Yeah, um, I don't. <laughs> That's a beautiful thing. <laughs> no, it's funny because, like, you know, like I said, uh, the the conventions and stuff. I'm I'm going to be taking a year off from San Diego. Not going to do that. Um, WonderCon is coming up in a couple months. I'm not going to do that because it's in LA this year and it's just not going to work. Um, so yeah, I'm working on, on new things. Like I'm trying to just put together like a solo show, a body of work, um, right now. Uh, so just talking to local galleries, don't have anything, you know, concrete yet. Um, and yeah, just experimenting with more like story oriented things, just going to be trying to like write and stuff right now. That's I wanted to ask you if you write because of the way that you sort of start to put your mythos together. Yeah, you know, I haven't been doing it lately, at least not this year, uh, but I'm starting up again, like as in like this week I'm starting um, just because, you know, I had like a little thing that I did that was self-published called Portraits and Tales from Remington Ridge. And I just like did all these um, portraits of, of characters that would be in this weird Western town. And then I had their biography next to them on each page. And then I would just kind of have them all related, you know, but I tried to make every page funny and, and weird. Um, so I'm just trying to get back into that sort of thing. Um, and I just realized that, man, I'm really more about just like creating weird 
stories and scenarios and like entertaining people in a way with them more than you know the painting is is like an extension of that instead of the other way around you know what uh-huh. i mean a painting is a good way to tell somebody a story but it's not the only way so i'm just trying to explore other ways right now yeah i like um, that idea the, the, the up. yeah not the, really the painting helps tell the story as opposed to the story helping explain the painting right yeah, yeah i was just I was just saying to somebody the other day that, you know, I, I communicate best visually. So when somebody asked me to like explain a painting that I've done, I feel like, man, if you don't know what I was trying to communicate by looking at it, I, I don't know if I can help you by talking about it because, you know, I, I painted, I painted the story better than I could talk about it. Yeah. Here, let um, me draw you a picture and show you what it right. means. Yeah. Nice. All right. Well, uh, thank you again for taking the time to shoot the shit with me. Let's um, let's get your website out there before I yeah. before we internet dap. It's uh, benwalkerart.com. Nice. We'll get everybody over there. Are you on the Twitters? I'm on the Twitter. I think it's the uh, art of Ben Walker. I don't think we're friends on the Twitters. Let's let's make oh, that yeah. happen. I'll find you on there or find cool. me. And then uh, you're on the Facebooks too. Just as... on the Facebooks for now. Just it's getting all, all lolcats on there. Have you seen that? I know people are getting crazy with all like the internet meme shit. Just... Yeah, all the all the pictures got bigger now on the news feed. So everybody's like, "Hey, I'm gonna take a picture and put it on the internet. Uh, you know, get some internet random picture and put a caption on it and make people maybe laugh." But it's getting annoying. I'll tell you what, I unsubscribe like a motherfucker when people post some annoying shit like that. <laughs> yeah. Lolcats this. Yeah, All right. I'm fucking out. All right, brother. Thank you again. I appreciate it. Man. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Have a great day. Let's internet dap. Let me okay. See. Boom. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> All right, brother. All right, man. See you. Talk to you later. All right. All right. So that's my chat with Mr. Ben Walker. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, again, I'm Mike Maxwell. Follow me at Mike Maxwell Art on Twitter, and you can follow the podcast at Live Free Podcast. I am getting ready to go see Ari Shafir, Freddie Lockhart, and Tony Hinchcliffe tonight at the Comedy Store in La Jolla. Crystal should be walking in the door any minute. Um, Again, go check out the website, MikeMaxwellArt.com. Click on the blog, and you'll get all the info about all the people. And donate to the podcast. Thanks, everybody. Have a good one. Lots of folks back east, they say, is leaving home every day. Beating the hot old dusty way to the California line. Across the desert sands they roll, getting out of that old dust bowl. They think they're going to a sugar bowl, but here's what they find. Now the police at the port of entry say, you're number 14,000 for today. Oh, if you ain't got the do-re-mi. You ain't got the do-re-mi Why, you better go back to beautiful Texas Oklahoma, Kansas, Georgia, Tennessee California is a garden of Eden A paradise to live in or see But believe it or not, you won't find it so hot If you ain't got the do-re-mi